the seasons by james thompson the life of james thompson by percival stockdale this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Abe Neiman The Life of James Thompson James Thompson was born September the 7th, 1700, at Ednam, in the Shire of Roxburgh, of which his father was pastor. His mother, whose name was Hume, was co-heiress of a small estate in that country, it was probably in commiseration of the difficulty with which Mr. Thompson's father supported his family, having nine children, that Mr. Rickerton, a neighboring minister, discovering in James uncommon promises of future excellence, undertook to superintend his education and provide him books. He was taught the common rudiments of learning at the school of Jedburgh, a place which he delights to recollect in his poem of Autumn was not considered by his master as superior to common boys though in those early days he amused his patron and his friends with poetical compositions with which however he so little pleased himself that on every new year's day he threw into the fire all the productions of the foregoing year from the school he was removed to edinburgh where he had not resided two years when his father died and left all his children to the care of their mother who raised upon her little estate what money a mortgage could afford and removing with her family to edinburgh lived to see her son rising into eminence the design of thompson's friends was to breed him a minister he lived at edinburgh as at school without distinction or expectation till at the usual time he performed a probationary exercise by explaining a psalm his diction was so poetically splendid that Mr. Hamilton, the professor of divinity, reproved him for speaking language unintelligible to a popular audience. This rebuke is said to have repressed his thoughts of an ecclesiastical character, and he probably cultivated with new diligence his talent for poetry, which, however, was in some danger of a blast, for submitting his productions to some who thought themselves qualified to criticize he heard nothing but faults but finding other judges more favorable he did not suffer himself to sink into absolute despondence he easily discovered that the only stage on which a poet could appear with any hope of advantage was london a place too wide for the operation of petty competition and private malignity where merit might soon become conspicuous and would find friends as soon as it became reputable to befriend it a lady who was acquainted with his mother advised him to the journey and promised some countenance and assistance which however he never received at his arrival in town he found his way to mr mallet then tutor to the sons of the duke of montrose he had recommendations to several persons of consequence which he had tied up carefully in his handkerchief but as he passed along the street with the gaping curiosity of a newcomer his attention was upon everything rather than his pocket and his magazine of credentials was stolen from him his first want was a pair of shoes for the supply of all his necessities his whole fund was his winter which for a time could find no purchaser 
till at last mr miller a bookseller in the strand was persuaded to buy it at a low price and this low price he had for some time to regret but by accident mr Watley, a man not wholly unknown among authors happening to turn his eye upon it was so delighted they ran from place to place celebrating its excellence thompson obtained likewise the notice of aaron hill whom being friendless and indigent and glad of kindness he courted with every expression of servile adulation winter was dedicated to sir spencer compton but attracted no regard from him to the author till aaron hill awakened his attention by some verses addressed to thompson and published in one of the newspapers which censured the great for their neglect of ingenious men thompson then received a present of twenty guineas of which he gives this account to mr hill i hinted to you in my last that on saturday morning i was with sir spencer compton a certain gentleman without my desire spoke to him concerning me his answer was that i had never come near him then the gentleman put the question if he desired that i should wait on him he returned he did on this the gentleman gave me an introductory letter to him he received me in what they commonly call a civil manner asked me some commonplace questions and made me a present of twenty guineas i am very ready to own that the present was larger than my performance deserved and shall ascribe it to his generosity or any other cause rather than the merit of the address the poem which being of a new kind few would venture at first to like by degrees gained upon the public and one edition was very speedily succeeded by another thompson's credit was now high and every day brought him new friends among others dr rundle a man afterwards unfortunately famous sought his acquaintance and found his qualities such that he recommended him to the lord chancellor talbot winter was accompanied in many editions not only with a preface and dedication but with poetical praises by mr hill mr mallet then moloch and mira the fictitious name of a lady once too well known why the dedications to winter and the other seasons are contrarily the custom left out in the collected works is not known the next year seventeen twenty seven he distinguished himself by three publications of summer in pursuance of his plan of a poem on the death of sir isaac newton which he was enabled to perform as an exact philosopher by the instruction of mr gray and of britannia a kind of poetical invective against the ministry whom the nation then thought not forward enough in resenting the depredations of the spaniards by this piece he declared himself an adherent to the opposition and had therefore no favour to expect from the court thompson having been some time entertained in the family of lord binning was desirous of testifying his gratitude by making him the patron of his summer but the same kindness which had first disposed lord binning to encourage him determined him to refuse the dedication which was by his advice addressed to mr doddington a man who had more power to advance the reputation and fortune of the poet spring was published next year with a dedication to the countess of hertford whose practice it was to invite every summer some poet into the country to hear her verses and assist her studies 
this honour was one summer conferred on thompson who took more delight in carousing with lord hertford and his friends than assisting her ladyship's poetical operations and therefore never received another summons autumn the season to which spring and summer are preparatory still remained unsung and was delayed till he published seventeen thirty his works collected he produced in seventeen twenty seven the tragedy of sophonispa which raised such expectation that every rehearsal was dignified with a splendid audience collected to anticipate the delight that was preparing for the public it was observed however that nobody was much affected and that the company rose as from a moral lecture thompson was not long afterwards by the influence of dr rundle sent to travel with mr charles talbot the eldest son of the chancellor he was yet young enough to receive new impressions to have his opinions rectified and his views enlarged nor can he be supposed to have wanted that curiosity which is inseparable from an active and comprehensive mind he may therefore now be supposed to have revelled in all the joys of intellectual luxury he was every day feasted with instructive novelties he lived splendidly without expense and might expect when he returned home a certain establishment at this time a long course of opposition to sir robert walpole had filled the nation with clamours for liberty of which no man felt the want and with care for liberty which was not in danger thompson in his travels on the continent found or fancied so many evils arising from the tyranny of other governments they resolved to write a very long poem in five parts upon liberty while he was busy on the first book mr talbot died and thompson who had been rewarded for his attendance by the place of secretary of the briefs pays in the initial lines a decent tribute to his memory upon this great poem two years were spent and the author congratulated himself upon it as his noblest work but an author and his reader are not always of a mind liberty called in vain upon her votaries to read her praises and reward her encomiast her praises were condemned to harbour spiders and to gather dust thompson now lived in ease and plenty and seems for a while to have suspended his poetry but he was soon called back to labour by the death of the chancellor for his place then became vacant and though the lord hardwick delayed for some time to give it away thompson's bashfulness or pride or some other motive withheld him from soliciting and the new chancellor would not give him what he would not ask he now relapsed his former indigence but the prince of wales was at that time struggling for popularity and by the influence of mr lyttleton professed himself the patron of wit to him thompson was introduced and being interrogated about the state of his affairs said that they were in a more poetical posture than formerly and had a pension allowed him of one hundred pounds a year being now obliged to write he produced seventeen thirty eight the tragedy of agamemnon which was much shortened in the representation it had the fate which most commonly attends mythological stories and was only endured but not favoured it struggled with such difficulty through the first night that thompson coming late to his friends with whom he was to sup 
excused his delay by telling them how the sweat of his distress had so disordered his wig that he could not come till he had been refitted by a barber he so interested himself in his own drama that if i remember right as he sat in the upper gallery he accompanied the players by audible recitation till a friendly hint frighted him to silence pope countenanced agamemnon by coming to it the first night and was welcomed to the theatre by a general clap he had much regard for thompson and once expressed in a poetical epistle sent to italy he was soon after employed in conjunction with mr mallet to write the mask of alfred which was acted before the prince at cleefton house his next work was tancred and sigismunda the most successful of all his tragedies for it still keeps its turn upon the stage his friend mr lyttleton was now in power and conferred upon him the office of surveyor-general of the leeward islands from which when his deputy was paid he received about three hundred pounds a year the last piece they lived to publish was the castle of indolence which was many years under his hand but was at last finished with great accuracy the first canto opens a scene of lazy luxury that fills the imagination he was now at ease but was not long to enjoy it for by taking cold on the water between london and kew he caught a disorder which terminated in a fever that put an end to his life august twenty seventh seventeen forty eight he was buried in the church of richmond without an inscription but a monument has been erected to his memory in westminster abbey thompson was of stature above the middle size and more fat than barred beseems of a dull countenance and a gross unanimated uninviting appearance silent in mingled company but cheerful among select friends and by his friends very tenderly and warmly beloved he left behind him the tragedy of coriolanus which was by the zeal of his patron sir george littleton brought upon the stage for the benefit of his family and recommended by a prologue which quinn who had long lived with thompson in fond intimacy spoke in such a manner as showed him to be on that occasion no actor the commencement of this benevolence is very honourable to quinn who is reported to have delivered thompson then known to him only for his genius from an arrest by a very considerable present and its continuance is honourable to both for friendship is always the sequel of obligation by this tragedy a considerable sum was raised of which part discharged his debts and the rest was remitted to his sisters the benevolence of thompson was fervid but not active he would give on all occasions what assistance his purse would supply but the offices of intervention or solicitation he could not conquer his sluggishness sufficiently to perform among his peculiarities was a very unskilful and inarticulate manner of pronouncing any lofty or solemn composition he was at once reading to doddington who being himself a reader eminently elegant was so much provoked by his odd utterance that he snatched the paper from his hands and told him that he did not understand his own verses the biographer of thompson has remarked that an author's life is best read in his works his observation was not well timed 
savage who lived much with thompson once told me how he heard a lady remarking that she could gather from his works three parts of his character that he was a great lover a great swimmer and rigorously abstinent but said savage he knows not any love but that of the sex he was perhaps never in cold water in his life and he indulges himself in all the luxury that comes within his reach yet savage always spoke with the most eager praise of his social qualities his warmth and constancy of friendship and his adherence to his first acquaintance when the advancement of his reputation had left them behind him as a writer he is entitled to one praise of the highest kind his mode of thinking and of expressing his thoughts is original his blank verse is no more the blank verse of milton or of any other poet than the rhymes of prior are the rhymes of cowley his numbers his pauses his diction are his own growth without transcription without imitation he thinks in a peculiar train and he thinks always as a man of genius he looks round on nature and on life with the eye which nature bestows only on a poet the eye that distinguishes in everything presented to its view whatever there is on which imagination can delight to be detained and with a mind that at once comprehends the vast and attends to the minute the reader of the seasons wonders they never saw before what thompson shows him and that he never yet has felt what thompson impresses his is one of the works in which blank verse seems properly used thompson's wide expansion of general views and his enumeration of circumstantial varieties would have been obstructed and embarrassed by the frequent intersection of the sense which are the necessary effects of rhyme his descriptions of extended scenes and general effects bring before us the whole magnificence of nature whether pleasing or dreadful the gaiety of spring the splendor of summer the tranquillity of autumn and the horror of winter take in their turns possession of the mind the poet leads us through the appearances of things as they are successively varied by the vicissitudes of the year and imparts to us so much of his own enthusiasm that our thoughts expand with his imagery and kindle with his sentiments nor is the naturalist without his part in the entertainment for he is assisted to recollect and to combine to arrange his discoveries and to amplify the sphere of his contemplation his diction is in the highest degree florid and luxuriant such as may be said to be his images and thoughts both their lustre and their shade such as invest them with splendor though which perhaps they are not always easily discerned is too exuberant and sometimes may be charged with filling the ear more than the mind the highest praise which he has received ought not to be suppressed it is said by lord lyttelton in the prologue to his posthumous play that his works contained no line which dying he could wish to blot end of the life of james thompson by percival stockdale from the seasons by james thompson this is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain.